friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty. I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we're joined by voice actor Trevor DeVal, and we're going to cut to that interview now. Hello and welcome. Today, we are joined by voice actor Trevor DeVal. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. It is my pleasure. Absolutely. And, and Trevor, for those of us who might not know you very well, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I was born in a small farm. Uh, I'm a professional <laughs> voice actor. I've been, uh, I've been at it for 20 years. Uh, I currently live in L.A. I was in Vancouver for a long time. I've been on such stellar shows as Guardians of the Galaxy, where I played Rocket Raccoon, uh, Lego Star Wars, where I played Emperor Palpatine, um, a, a gazillion episodes of My Little Pony, uh, and Johnny Test. I'm Dookie on Johnny Test, and the list goes on and on and on and on, so many that I've, I've forgotten them. So that sounds arrogant, but it's just my bad memory. Excellent. And uh, beyond that, I imagine that you also have a YouTube channel uh, that is called Me, Myself, and Die. Did I get that correct? You are correct, sir. You are oh, correct, man. sir. Uh, so I, I should also mention that our audience is younger. So that Johnny Carson impression is not going to fly. I get it. Going over everyone's heads, <laughs> but that's totally fine. No, I, <laughs> I'm just glad somebody idea. here got it. That's all I can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Daniel and I are ancient mummies. So that's okay, totally... I'm like 85. So I get it. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Trevor, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about uh, Me, Myself, and Die? Sure. Me, Myself, and Die is a solo role-playing show where I play all the characters using a variety of uh, systems designed to play RPGs by yourself. I started it about a year and a half ago, <clears throat> um, mostly because I saw my friends on Critical Role, all of whom I'm, I've, I've worked with down here in L.A., and I thought, you know, I, I think I can do that, but just me. And uh, the reason why was because scheduling actors is like herding cats. And I thought, I don't really want to deal with scheduling actors. So I'm just, I'm just going to schedule one actor and play all the characters. And I thought, <laughs> won't that be funny? Because no one's ever done solo role-playing before. That's not even a thing. Lo and behold, I do my first couple of episodes and I'm inundated with all of these people going, oh, finally, someone has revealed our existence to the world. I was like, <laughs> what? There's a... And pardon the oxymoron here, guys, but a community of solo role players <laughs> seemed, uh, was, it was kind of a surprise to me. And I learned that there's all these all these systems and tools out there that people have been using to create their own games for themselves. In solo role playing, for those of you who don't know, is just basically where you you are both the GM and the player, and you use a series of randomizers, typically called oracle tables, which allow you to kind of um, spur your imagination and. Um, and uh, see where the dice takes you. So uh, other than that, it's it's a it's just a regular old RPG. Uh, and that's how the show got started. And it was very successful. I did 22 episodes in season one. And then I started season two using the Iron Sworn system. And uh, yeah, we're I just dropped episode 16 on Monday of that. So it's 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 going very well. Thanks for asking. That's excellent. I always love an origin story that includes someone looking at a piece of work and being like, how can I do that, but make it 48 times harder and more work for myself? <laughs> I mean, the, when I heard about the setup that you have, which is something like six cameras that can only record 29 minutes, and then you have, I don't know what microphone's going on. Can you talk a little bit about how insane it is to record those 30-minute episodes? Well, it's a lot easier now, but it, yeah, certainly at the beginning. So I have seven cameras. Um <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> and they're all DSLR cameras, which means that 
uh, they have to be reset every 29 minutes because they'll just stop. And so you have to keep a timer. And if you forget to, to start the timer, it's not like the cameras go, hey, we're about to stop here. None of that <laughs> happens. So you just realize, oh, I, the last 15 minutes are, are now not there. Uh, but so that, that was, that's difficult because you've got these cameras going everywhere. But also when I was running on battery power, that was a nightmare because you would be in the middle of a scene or in the middle of a fight or something and you've got the momentum going and everything's, oh my God, this is so great. And all of a sudden, oh no, I got to change the cameras. And you go to the cameras and you realize I have to change the batteries. And that 10 minutes later, you're slaving away trying to get the batteries switched out and everything. And then you get back and oh, the momentum's dead. So you've got to sunk yourself up again to get back in the thing. And it was all just completely draining. I would walk out of those, those recording sessions just like, with no energy, I would collapse on the couch in the house, like, oh my God, oh my God, why do I do this to myself? But uh, yeah, there's there's um, seven cameras set up. There was only six in the first uh, episode, but I, I added the uh, the dolly cam in the second, uh, or the, the season, for, uh, rather, first season, but I added the dolly cam in the, in the second uh, season. And uh, I'll probably be adding another angle in season three, although I have no idea at this point what it will be. Maybe up my nose? I have no idea. It's, it's you can say. <laughs> <laughs> going for the rare colonoscopy shot of course Jesus um like following up from that like so I I had very little understanding of what a solo RPG was really until I mean I had read about it but when I saw me myself and die I really grasped what it was about and you have this intro you know the main intro talks about like how it's put together using um, the mythic system at least in the first season. Um, the question I had was, it seems that like solo RPGs are driven strongly by that randomness and sense of serendipity. Like you're, you're figuring out what's happening as you play, as you play it. Um, and I wonder in your voice acting, even though, um, you know, you're reading a script, I think you call them prelays is when um, you guys yeah. read the script and go through it. Is there a sense of serendipity at all when you like execute the voice acting in the same way? Like, is there overlap between those two activities? Um, uh, what do you mean by a sense of serendipity in terms of um, like, a, I guess in, in, is there any creativity that can happen when you're doing voice acting and in, in kind of like you're surprising yourself and how it ends up panning out? Uh, yeah. It, it, when I'm doing a show, uh, that's, that's a little more rare because it, everything's scripted and you know, um, you, you're, you're constrained by the writer's words. Sometimes you can kind of, um, dance around them or improvise i do uh, did a show on netflix called f is for family and they were uh really good about letting us just kind of play around with the lines or lego star wars was great for that too they would they would basically tell me to come in and they'd be like you know what you just say whatever you want well just <laughs> to an extent which was great because it was always good to have emperor palpatine just sort of go off on a riff you know it's great but okay, um, right. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah so there's not quite as much creativity from the from the purely acting side of it as there is when you're doing like a solo rpg because that's 100 improvised so when i'm playing those characters in the in the game in the show it's really it's really freeform improvised uh a dialogue based on the given circumstances of what's happening with the characters and sometimes it does, doesn't always work like sometimes i have to do multiple takes because i say something that is clearly you know it's supposed to come out and, and sound really like you know, epic, and it just comes out sounding stupid. And I'm like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's just cut that and uh, do it again. But because I don't do a live show, I can do that. I'm not stuck with all of the dumb choices I make, just most of them. So, yeah, that's uh, how that works. So I would love – So I, I hate to do the very obvious question, but I am always curious as to why people get into voice acting specifically. 
And I, I wanted to give, give us the very briefest of origin stories for you as a voice actor. Uh, I didn't know it was a job. I didn't know it was a career. I grew up in the 70s and 80s uh, watching, you know, Bugs Bunny and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I never thought that cartoon voices was something you would do. I was just always an actor. I was, just, I was a theatrical actor, a stage actor when I was young. And I went to university to become a theater director. And my whole life, I just did voices and accents just kind of for fun and um, never thought that it could, you know, actually be a, a paying career. But when I moved to Vancouver, uh, I quickly found out that that was, in fact, a possibility. So I auditioned for one thing uh, just on a, on a lark and I, I booked it. And uh, the rest is history, basically, because in, in that business, at least in those days, when when someone came along who very clearly um, innately understood the requirements of the job, uh, phones started ringing. Oh, my God, there's somebody new here. We got to come in. And so pretty soon everybody's talking and you're being thrown opportunities and work and stuff. So it it was it was it was a good time back in the heady days of 1998. <laughs> um, and it, it's been great since. But yeah, so it, it wasn't ever like a conscious decision. There are voice actor colleagues of mine who did that, who always said, I, I want to be a voice actor when I grow up. And then they grew up and they still had this voice. And so that's, that's what they used in cartoons. But uh, in my experience, it was not a, a choice. It was just, it's it just something that some weird set of skills I was born with. I can't have any explanation for them. I just use them to the best of my ability. I would imagine that it also comes down to you just probably have a lot of fun doing it because yeah, just that, there's talking, that. Did I not mention that? <laughs> uh, I mean, frankly, it's been a little bit soulless on my end, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> what one thing you did, you said in an interview though, that the most important thing for your job is you have to know how to perform for the microphone. And I would love yeah. for you to kind of break that down a little bit more for us, if you don't mind. Sure. So uh, when you're an on-camera actor, you exist in the world of the very small because the camera's on you and you don't have to do much to communicate what's going on with the character. In fact, if you try and communicate anything on camera, it, it typically comes off as very big and very, whoa, in your face, right? So an on-camera actor typically exists in the world of the very, very small, tiny little, tiny little movements of the, the facial muscles as they twitch, as you, as you, you know, think about the situation as a character, whatever, whatever's going on. But in the world of voice, you don't have anything visual when you're recording the character. That's the animator's job. But our job as the voice actor is to give the animator something to draw. So we have to paint the picture with our voice. We have to paint the picture with our performance. And that means we have to be way more expressive than your typical on-camera actor. Um, if I was to have this level of energy, if I was performing on camera in like some scripted show, well, that's Jim Carrey land. That's like, that's a very, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a very specific thing. Uh, but if you don't do that in voiceover, in the majority of voiceover, I'm talking animation mostly. If you don't do that in animation, if you don't paint the picture with your voice, then the animators are not going to understand how to draw that accurately uh, mm -hmm. is, is basically what it comes down to. Yeah, when with the early, you know, with like early cinema and stuff, when when talkies were becoming a thing, I remember reading about the the differences between stage actors where everything has to be big and grand and you had to gesture widely. And then as soon as film came along, that looks so hokey as a result, you right. know, by, by stark contrast. Right. That's a, it's a perfect analogy. It just in a slightly different world. But but. Yeah, it's a perfect analogy. There, there, it's just a different skill set. And, and I remember when um, 
before, before, in the before times, before the, the dark plague descended upon the land, when we would all gather in a room together, and you would see other human beings and breathe their air. In that time, uh, sometimes we would have celebrities or just like um, on-camera actors come into the room to record an episode, and if they had never done voiceover before, you could see how terrified they were because they were so out of their element they did not understand you know what the biggest thing is too is when you have to do effort sounds on-camera actors have no idea what that even is but to us it's second nature <laughs> effort sounds just means the the sound you make when the character performs an effort because Give me you have a grunt to put too. It, 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 everything it could be something like my example is always uh, you, you have to open the door that's stuck so you have to give us an effort sound and that effort sound might be come on right well tell that to an on-camera actor and they just stare at you with terrified eyes i don't know what that is what are you talking about effort sounds is there a stuck door i could actually pull because i'm so method you know uh so it's funny because by the end of the day they kind of go oh i get it so you guys are just crazy and that's okay okay all right i i get it i get it but <laughs> some people never get it some of the on-camera people are never quite comfortable with it um and that's fine that's our our world is for us, not for them. Go away! Go away, uncover people! <laughs> Do you think that role-playing kind of gets you into that mindset, that kind of invisible space where, you know, when, you, when you're in role-playing games, you tend to... I, at least I do. I, I tend to act out where I think about, you know, like opening a door. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? All of the good GMing shit that you should be doing in the first place. Is that something that you think has helped you over the years? Or is that something you just develop to it over time? as like kind of a consequence to role-playing games. I have said before that my entire voiceover career would not exist if in 1980... My friend Peter did not introduce me to the village of Hamlet mm. and I discovered this hobby because in 1980, I was eight years old. And when I discovered there was a game that not only required you to have an active visual imagination, but rewarded you for it in terms of the experience you got out of it. If I never had that, I probably would not be a voice actor today. And this so is your, our, your paladin black jay yeah boy you guys have done your homework <laughs> wow next you're gonna whip out the fact i got some illegitimate child out there demanding child support oh boy you're uh, sticking it to me now uh actually i've got him here in the studio with us actually it's all three of us you bastard <laughs> dad yeah uh yeah no it, it was um it was a hugely influential hobby to the point where uh, there are people I know, friends I have, that, that don't understand the game and they kind of look at it, oh, you're playing some kid's game. And I just mm -hmm. think, oh, you poor, poor person. They don't get man. it. Yeah. You just don't yeah. understand. You're missing there, out there you is, don't even know. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And there is no form of entertainment out there like it. This is an absolutely mm -hmm. unique form of entertainment because you are not writing a book. You're not writing a screenplay. You're not acting a script you are both creating and experiencing a shared imaginary environment that only the people who are actively part of it can, can experience. Now it's, I mean, it's, it's become a thing obviously later with the rise of critical role and things like this and Twitch and all of that for people mm -hmm. to actively watch people playing games. But even that is not the same thing. It's as you all know, it's not the same thing as mm. being in the moment in your character around the table with the clatter of the dice and the shared energy of the people in the scene uh, the scene, we don't even call it a scene, but that's that's what it is. It's a scene. Uh, it's just, it's it's a magnificently unique thing that uh, Gary 
and and um, Dave came up with back in the day, and uh, and we owe them a great deal of, of gratitude. <laughs> I, I think it was you uh, who said the meaning of life is other people when you were asked about role playing in, in particular. Um, I've said hell is other people. I was gonna say, like, I'm but, sure that's a Beckett play. When I heard you say that, though, I was thinking, like, okay, this guy runs a solo RPG, but that's probably the best definition I've heard of an RPG in my life. Into <laughs> the meaning of life with other people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, yeah, I guess, I guess that is. I mean, I say a lot of things when I'm drunk, and I'm drunk all the time. So, <laughs> um, yeah, um, the, the the exchange that you have with another player, especially, especially in our case, like my my old gang we were very much immersion players. We were very much in the character, speaking first person. Not everybody's like that. Some people like to play in third person. Some people say, you know, my character does this. So that was always alien to us. It was like, no, 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 it's I. I mm -hmm. do this, I, I inhabit this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so when you're, when you're in those sessions, especially where there's a, a conflict, where one character wants to do something and the other wants to, or, or you know, teams emerge, uh, not a single, die roll is made but but the the playing out of those scenes arbitrated by the gm to make sure that we don't you know leap across the table and kill each other uh <laughs> there, there's nothing like it there's nothing like almost coming to blows over an imaginary elf game there's really <laughs> <laughs> no i love it obviously. i think there's something to be said about the uniqueness of role-playing games like you were saying where it's like i it's it's very difficult to immerse yourself like that's not Daniel sitting across the table from me. That's Balthazar Spruce. That's not Courtney <laughs> that I'm about to get into a fist fight with. That's silent sky. You know, like there is something that you feel so much more innately when it comes to role-playing games, I feel than compared to any other media. And I think that speaks to the uniqueness that you were talking about previously. A hundred percent. There's no, and, and you know, the other thing, and this, this is another thing that contributes to the unique qualities of, of the game is that, if you've got a, a table of, of a GM and four players, say, and they're walking through a town, and it's like a st bog standard D&D &D game, and they're walking through a town, and the GM is explaining the town. He's sort of describing the sounds and the smells of the marketplace, and he's describing a little bit of this, and maybe a street, street urchin comes along, and, you know, whatever. He's just describing sort of just a little jaunt through town square as they're on the way to something else. If you could put a camera directly into the imagination of each player at that table, they would all see a slightly different thing. Yeah. And and that is the power mm -hmm. of the game is that every person gets an absolutely individualized experience mm -hmm. just for them. Mm -hmm. It's like your own movie in your head shot just just for you. It's it's I, I just love it. I just love it so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's why you're here, damn it. That's this is why, why we're talking here. to you. I knew yeah. there had to be a reason. <laughs> uh, uh, Courtney, um, you got a question for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so about role-playing and the sort of individual experience that everybody has, um, over the years I've noticed with my own characters and with friends' characters and RPGs that we tend to gravitate towards certain like overarching concepts or archetypes. Um, but you seem to be really interested in randomness and kind of like the chaos factor that comes into play. Um, have you found that to be the case with yourself at all? Um, or have uh, solo yeah. RPGs shifted that for you? That actually... that. That leads into something that I think is a an important uh, idea. <clears throat> when I started jamming back in, in in the old days when the earth was cooling, um, you know there was a lot of there was a lot of focus on 
you know, the epic story, and you want to run your players through the epic story. And as I got older, and as I got more experience, I started to realize that I had no interest in running my players through a story mm-hmm. because I mm-hmm. didn't want to know the ending. And I didn't want to railroad them anymore into, no, but guys, but guys, this is going to be so cool when you are forced to do this thing that I think is great. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was really good at running the epic story, but everyone, you know, it's like the old railroad debate, right? If everybody knows that they're on the rails and they're along for the ride and there's, there's a hell of a conductor, uh, you know, then great, sure. But don't expect it to be anything other than a railroad. And that's perfectly fine. There's nothing mm-hmm. inherently wrong with railroads. But as a GM, I got very bored of them. Because I was so tired of not knowing, or I was so tired of knowing all the answers. And I don't remember what it was exactly, but there was a day that, that came where, and maybe it was the discovery of the Mythic Emulator, I, although I don't think so, because I, I'm pretty sure this happened years before Mythic came out. But I remember when I first saw the Mythic Emulator and went, oh yes, this is, this is precisely the thing that I'm excited about. Because what it did was it freed me of the shackles of story as a GM. Because now all I had to do was listen to what the players were doing, interpret it, and roll some dice and interpret that and, and repeat you know, or, or, or present the world to them based purely on that rather than this is what I want to happen. And as soon as I freed myself of that idea that this is what I want to happen, then randomness became my best friend because mm-hmm. I was like, this is great. I have no idea what's going to happen here. And then I took it too far. And it became crazy town, where now there's no control at all, and the GM's just like, no, I don't, I know it's crazy that suddenly you sprouted wings and flew to the moon, but who, who knew, right? Um, so obviously, like everything in life, it comes back to the middle. We try to strike a balance, uh, but yeah, there was a t- there was a game that I ran. This is many years ago now. It was in a Palladium Fantasy First Edition system, although a heavily modified version of it. And I was running this game and I was inspired by this other campaign that I've been playing in. And what they did in that campaign was they, the GMs, and it was two of them, which was kind of cool. It was a tag team kind of thing. And they would roll all the dice rolls in front of the screen. (laughs) And that blew my mind. I was like, but wait a minute, there's no control here. There's no safety net. And suddenly it became very dangerous to do anything because now as a player you are 100 percent wholly mm-hmm. responsible for mm-hmm. your own actions the gm mm-hmm. he couldn't save you yep. and so i i fell in love with this and i i, I ran a total cheap knockoff campaign based like 100 stolen from these other guys for my <laughs> guys and uh and i said okay guys here it is and when i started rolling in front of the screen and they there was this one dungeon called gifchere and uh i think that between I don't know, five players, they must have lost eight characters within the first 120 feet of that dungeon. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and they were like, and they, they were so shit. They were like, oh my God, you mean we're dead? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, but, but we're, the, we're the protagonists. I'm like, no, you're not. You're just people in the world. So, uh, and, and suddenly they became like, oh my God, we have to learn tactics. Oh my God, we have, and, and that changed them forever. To this day, now their favorite game is uh, Mithras, RuneQuest 6, which is 100% entirely about tactical responses to combat <laughs> because they were, they were totally transformed by it. And uh, it, it blew my mind. That, that day of, of where the GM said, uh, you know, as a philosophy, I'm no longer going to uh, provide a safety net for my, for my players. It's up to them now. And in a way, that's really the way that Gary and Dave and those guys back in the old days played. You know, it was mm-hmm. very much... 
here's the dungeon. You go, and what happens, happens. And I think that that is a lost art in today's role-playing tables. I can't say that for sure, because I'm not at every role-playing table. <laughs> but from what I've seen, especially with the philosophy of even D&D 5e, and I kind of criticize D&D 5e on my show, Drinking with DMs, which is available on my Patreon. Um, <laughs> not criticize like, I hate it, it's stupid. But, but, but criticize it in terms of its philosophy is very much about superhero role-playing, where all of the characters are awesome, and they do everything, and they wade through, you know, hordes of mooks with, with nary a scratch. And that's fine <laughs> and fun for me for about 10 minutes. Uh, but, but that philosophy of you're on your own and you cannot rely on anything other than your own ingenuity and your own, uh, you know, skills to rely on your own skills and a little bit of luck too. That seems to be kind of missing from current D and D five E I feel. I mean, you're, you're, you're totally right. That's, that's the old school revival right there. What you're describing right. that we want to get back to that. Yeah. Right. Right. And again, just, just to be hundred percent clear Twitter, I'm not saying that I think that D and D is bad or anything like that. I just, I just, from my experience, I prefer a game that's more challenging, which means that yep. I can't rely on, on fancy little powers based, given to me by a class that I took, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right when you, when you kind of characterize it as superhero role-playing, right? But it, with, with 5e specifically, I, yeah. I also have to imagine that there's a lot of video game influence, you know, like I 100%. think that people approach it with like, oh, I can do whatever I want, but I'm also a hero. That means that I should not have consequences to deal with for the most part. And what I'm hearing a lot from you is, is what I, what I love and what I hear a lot of when it comes to uh, like apocalypse world or dungeon world, where they kind of codify those rules and, and GM rules as play to see what happens and be a fan of the players. And it, it sounds like you're really living that as, as a GM. And I really do love that aspect. I, tr I try very much to do that. When I, when I first read, um, it was Dungeon World that, um, that introduced me to the Powered by the Apocalypse phenomenon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it oh, same here, same here. <clears throat> and I, I, at first I was like, are they telling me how to GM? Who the hell are these people? <laughs> and then I realized, wait a minute, they're just telling me to do all the things that I've internalized anyway over mm -hmm. all these years. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that, I thought, oh no, these guys, these guys kind of get it. And I find it funny when people criticize those game systems as being story games or as being um, uh, railroady. I'm like, it's actually the opposite of both those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because in those games, the dice really tell the damn story. Like it's all about what happens with the outcome of those dice. And if you look at like Iron Sworn, which I'm doing in my second season, I fear for Arn's life every damn session <laughs> everyone because i'm not going to cheat i mean i'm doing a show and i know that there's certain conceits i have to 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 have in order to make a presentable show as opposed to just some guy playing a game i am aware of that but at the same time i'm not going to cheat i'm not going to save his life if something goes horribly wrong because that's not a game then that's a story mm. and i have no interest <laughs> in story i have interest in game you know even though i'm telling a story and even though that i'm doing a show about this guy doing the thing uh, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in playing the game and seeing what happens. I'm I'm, I'm interested in seeing how the game uh, forces the evolution of the story. And so I, I, we're basically getting to your GM philosophy here, or at least tenets of it, right? And I, I, of course, have to ask, what do you think, based on everything that we've talked about so far, give us like a top one to three tips that GMs should have in their back pocket, new, old, whatever the fuck, like the best tips that you've synthesized over your 
30 plus years of gaming? Well, a lot of them, I think, have already been um, expressed in, in games like Dungeon World, which, you know, I, I agree with the vast majority of them. I think the first one that comes to my mind is listen to your players. Listen to, listen to what characters they're building. Take advantage mm-hmm. of that, because um, if they express an interest in doing a thing in the game world, then give them opportunities to do that thing. It doesn't matter what the thing is. Has, it doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I made a character in my friend Ross's game. This is way back in the midst of time. He was running Rollmaster, and I made a character who named Amarcall the Black, and he was basically a ripoff of Raceland from uh, Dragonlance, like pretty much 100% stolen. <laughs> <clears throat> but he sounded a bit like Christopher Lambert from uh, from Highlander. Oh, nice. sweet yeah. you know. Yes. So that was Raceland. He had this sort of hissing, sort of weird, sort of accent. Where are you from? I don't know. I'm from evil. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, but right out of the gate with that character, in the first session, we found a hint of a scrap of of a document that that alluded to this character named James Rutherford, who was this ancient wizard and blah 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 blah. But there was a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing in that document that talked about how James Rutherford assumed the mantlehood of a god and then dis- disappeared. And from that moment, I said to Ross, that's Amarcal's goal. I want him to become a god. I want him to find how James Rutherford did it. Jamie Rutherford, I should say. And, and become a god. And that campaign, first of all, that was two campaigns that lasted... 20 years. Whoa. 20 years. In the, at the end of the first campaign, Amarcal became a god. And at the second campaign, Amarcal became the enemy of the other characters in the second campaign. He became the main oh, nice. antagonist. So oh, yeah. that's yeah. an example of a GM listening to what his player wants and literally changing the world because of it. And that's a pretty big example. I'm not necessarily saying to do that. <laughs> but if a character says... Or if a character is acting in such a way that they show an interest in any anything that's part of your world, then just throw throw that at them. Just throw and see what they do with it. That's it. Because it is a collaborative experience, even though I still am a Viking head GM. My word is law! You will do what I say! I control the world! <laughs> but, but that said, it is a collaborative game. So I want to make sure that I'm giving back to my players the things they're interested in. So that's one for sure. Um, oh boy, as a, a general GM advice... Uh, don't talk too much. That's, can you guess that's a problem of mine? Can, can you guess? Maybe that might be a problem of mine. <laughs> Talking too much. God knows I'm doing it here enough. Uh, I, I'm, I'm on a podcast where I talk with my friends for hours at a time. I think we can all relate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let, let the players um, have their moments. Don't, you, you don't have to over explain. That's a big one. You do not have to over explain. My favorite example of this, and I forget who said it. I think it was the guys on, um, Fear the Boot, who said this. Yes. I think it was Dan on Fear the Boot who said this. He said there's that passage in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where they go to the uh, feast. And instead of doing a George R. R. Martin thing where he describes every trencher of bread filled with beef and succulent this and that, which is fine. (laughs) Kind of really makes me hungry now. um, What he said was there was food and drink and all the things you would expect at such a feast. And that is all you need because now the players make their own feast in their head. And if there's an important detail that is crucial for something that happens at the scene, then the GM can describe that. But you don't have to. You could just let them paint their own picture. And that- Theater of mind, right? Exactly. And that is, um, that, 
that sort of moves into another topic, which I think is very interesting, especially these days, which is the notion of uh, virtual tabletop play and uh, remote play. Mm. Um, it is a very different experience than in person. And I've been doing it almost exclusively for eight years because I moved to LA eight years ago and that was it. I now had to play remotely. All my other friends were at a table, either in Vancouver or Edmonton, and they were all around a table and there was a little camera set up at the end of that table with a monitor and that was me. So I saw all them and they saw me at the end of the table, which actually worked out really well as a GM because you know, I could see all of them and they could see me. That's so fancy. that's all you really need. <laughs> uh, but when you're a player, it's a little different, you know, if you're just one of the players. But, but the point is, is that remote play is a, is a totally different animal. And there's so, I mean, you could do a whole show on just the, maybe you have, on the differences between uh, skills and techniques you, re, you need to hone in order to have a successful live game around the table versus a, a remote game, you know? Mm -hmm. And actually, why don't you, why don't you give us a preview of that right now? What would you say is the number one, you know, like virtual compared to real life? Um, when you're doing something like, so we, we play with something like a roll 20 or one of those virtual tabletops with a zoom or a Skype call going because mm -hmm. we want video. We want to be able to see the reactions of the other people. Of Otherwise I, I can't, I can't play by radio. I can't just do audio. I, I don't, there's a lot of people to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just use Discord or we just, do, or God forbid text. My fingers are not meant to, to type that fast. <laughs> I threw up in it, my mouth a little bit. Oh, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> no. I mean, listen how fast I speak. Do you think for a fucking second I'd be able to keep up with these meat hooks? Not a chance, not a chance. <laughs> so, um, what the hell was I saying? <laughs> oh yeah, so, so uh, uh, I guess it would be uh, know your technology because when you're playing with Zoom, there's a technological limitation as to how many people can talk at once. And that number is one. Yeah. And yeah. as soon as more than one person talks, especially if a GM is talking and someone else says something, then all everybody else hears is static basically. And so I enforced uh, a very, a very, very strict rule that when I was GMing remotely, as soon as I open my mouth, you shut the hell up, all of you, because you <laughs> need to hear what I say. I'm kind of important. Uh, because I, I'm God, let's face it. I'm God. <laughs> so, but, but as soon as you, as, as soon as you institute that discipline, it works way better because now people are forced to show consideration to someone else. What a thought in this day and age. Um, and uh, it works way God. better. It's, it's a much, much smoother experience. Uh, so know your technology and don't get hung up on the bells and whistles of the tabletop. Uh, Theater of the Mind, ironically, I think makes a big comeback as soon as we're presented with all of these wonderful virtual tabletop tools because you realize, yeah, you don't really need it most of the time. And in fact, showing a picture of a character as opposed to a description, again, you're no longer allowing the individualization of that player's experience. Now you're imposing upon them, this is what this character looks like. See this picture? See? See how every line in his face? See how he's got a certain scraggly beard? See how he's got blonde hair? But if you just describe that character, again, they, they have their own version of the character. And so I actually think that virtual play can, and, and, and using, overusing the virtual tabletop can diminish the experience for the players in some ways. Yeah, Daniel runs an online game with pictures, and I tend to just completely disregard the pictures because it's like, that's not what he looks like. In my mind, they look entirely different. Don't tell me what they look like. Daniel. I mean, I use I use the photos more as like um, to give you a sense of what it might look like. And usually I'll just say like, OK, here's it's kind of like a reference point. That way I don't have to like explain at length. But I totally agree. Oh. I prefer to not use props most mm -hmm. of the time. Yeah, I mean, and, and the funny thing is, is that I love using props in real life. I'm that, I'm the DM that like, 
if you find like a, a treasure chest, well, I've got this little oaken box that I've carved and there's a latch on it. And you open it and there's like, ooh, a, a scroll that I've soaked in tea and put in the oven for a minute. And then, you know, I've written in lemon juice so that you have to hold it up to the light to the heat source to show the invisible, like all that garbage. It just, I, mean, I love that stuff. What's funny too is um, when I search for photos to use as reference, oftentimes that will influence how I then create the, the fiction and oh, yeah. so it's like the yeah. circle, mm-hmm. you know, which sometimes it can be helpful. And sometimes it's like, you don't want to have too specific a thing. Cause then it's like, okay, they're just going to look at the picture and they can't form an image in their mind, which is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And um, so you paint your own minis and build your own terrain, which is all amazing by the way. Um, so I was curious, like, do you tailor your painting and building to specific RPGs or scenes or um, vice versa? Have you ever, like Daniel was saying, have you ever seen like a mini that influenced you or made you think like, oh, I want to play that kind of character? Um, both. <clears throat> both are true. The The terrain I built was just because I knew I was going to do the show and I, I wanted it to be visual and I wanted to learn a new skill. And that turned out to be uh, building stuff. And, and Black mm-hmm. Magic Craft was was the big one for me. He uh, He's he's fellow Canadian, eh? I think he's up there in Winnipeg. But uh, it's pretty cool show up there, and um, he's fantastic. He the, the way he builds things is just so. Uh, I understood the process. I'm not a very handy guy, so it doesn't come naturally to me. <clears throat> but to watch him, Jeremy, I think his name is Jeremy, um, really influenced me a lot. But what I would do is I I I knew okay, so in the first season Simon is playing in kind of like a bog standard kind of fantasy Europe kind of thing. So I'm going to need terrain that shows off the basics gonna need you know deciduous forests um, and i'm gonna need big rocks and i'm gonna need rivers and i'm gonna need things like this in the second season i knew that arn was going to the ironlands so i'm gonna need all of that but covered in snow um so there was a, a practicality to why i built the things i i did but when it comes to miniatures and stuff there was a miniature that i found i stumbled across uh, online when i was looking for a miniature for the new version of arn for season two and it it was this woman and she was standing there with an exposed knee and she was covered in this, this massive cloak and she had this long flowing hair and she had kind of this stern look on her face. And I thought, that has to be a character in the show. Mm. And immediately I bought the mini and realized, oh, that's Arn's sister. That's exactly who that is. Uh, so she became a character that I just put into the, into the world. And so far she's only shown up once, but she has been like a gargantuan influence on the life of our main character. And so we've only ever seen the mini once and it wasn't even painted because I kind of suck at painting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so kind of both. Uh, I, I think I've answered that question. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes, I think so. I, Thank you. <laughs> I'm always fascinated to see like the creative process for people like for the, just like the smallest things or lines in fiction that get your brain like just on fire. Whether it be like a mini that just so happens to be a main character all of a sudden or entire adventures that have been spawned from a throwaway line from another adventure that you read seven years ago, something totally. like that. That's always really fun and interesting for me to see like how that progression tends to work out. Yeah, because it's always a it's always a surprise when something inspires you. You know, like, oh absolutely, um, mm-hmm. it just yeah. comes out of nowhere. And 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 for me, it always happens four in the morning, and I wake up and I go, <laughs> oh my, oh wait a minute, oh my god, and I gotta write it down because of course it's going to be forgotten if I don't. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, definitely been there. Hotel, two in the morning, wake up to go to the bathroom, and then all of a sudden I can't go to bed for four more hours because I'm writing yep. down notes furiously. It's like, yeah. all right, this is yeah. it. That's what my yeah, it happened, is it, for. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. It happened to me last night. That's the reason why I got two hours of sleep last night is because I woke up um, and and uh, I, I realized I, I know a crucial aspect of what happens in the next episode, like a, a, a story point, so to speak. It just... Mm. There was, there was something that revealed itself to me that suddenly answered so many questions. And I went, oh, my God, that's it. That's what it is. That's totally what it is. And so I had to, you know, fumble, open my iPad and, you know, type it out. And, of course, it's like, okay, so Blix will bark and nick boha because it's, you know, I can't spell it four in the morning and I can't type on those iPads anyway. But, you know, you get the idea. Uh, so when, when you give me that accent, I have to ask you this question. Have you ever heard or played Morkborg? Uh, I, I, I own it on PDF. Mm, um, mm. Uh, what a ride. <laughs> <laughs> what a ride. What yeah, a we, beautiful, beautiful presentation. What a, just a, mm-hmm. oh yeah. These, yeah. There's another one. There's a, they call it a role-playing game. I don't call it a role-playing game, but it's a, it's just an incredibly, uh, just strikingly beautiful uh, product. And that's the thousand year old vampire. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's that's another solo role playing game, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. It's a. I would call. I would call it a writing exercise more than. (laughs) Really. You know. uh, But that's hey, that's just me. But I got to tell you, do yourself a favor and buy that book because even just to even if you don't play it, it's just this. It's dripping with atmosphere. It's just I've never seen anything like it. It's fantastic. Mm All right. Well, uh, do we have any other questions before we roll into the world building jam? Because luckily for everyone, we're at that moment. No, I'm really excited about this next part. Oh, as am I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me. I do let me actually grab have one. Then. I do have one oh. question. God damn it, Courtney! I no, know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've said previously that RPGs and DMing don't require acting, which is interesting coming from a voice actor and. Honestly, it's a huge relief to hear um, as somebody who is not at all into doing different voices or accents or things like that. Um, so do you have any advice for like creating really memorable memorable traits without um, those sort of acting techniques? Yeah. Um, I've always been a voice guy. <clears throat> always, always, always. So my mm. memorable NPCs were always based on an accent or a visual tick or, or like, a, a, you know, a... a a way that they maybe they they open their eyes wide when they something something like that and it was a very mm-hmm. physical mm-hmm. acty performative kind of description and that was kind of a lazy choice because i didn't have to describe it i could just do it and people would go okay yeah, yeah i get it he's mm-hmm. you know whatever he's this um but the best gms are very much like the best directors that i've worked with in that they can communicate the essence of what's going on with as few words as possible. They tap, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that C.S. Lewis quote, right? There was food and drink and all the things you would expect at a feast of, of that caliber. That communicates everything you need to know. And you've said almost nothing. Uh, that's a disciplined approach to GMing that I do not possess. I am, <laughs> I am uh, like exceedingly verbose, diarrhea of the mouth constantly. Uh, but in terms of advice for people who do not do voices and accents, and you're absolutely right, it, it, you ha- do not have to, this is not an actor's game at all. Mm. All you need for this is an imagination and some passion. That's it. And some dice and a pencil and the game. Passion, but, that's the key. <laughs> a I couple think. things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah passion is the, is the key. Um, but if you're trying to GM, you're trying to describe a character, let's say, without relying on a voice or an accent. 
You can describe the accent if you want. You can say that, you know, like if I was describing Arn Kalapunki without actually going into my sort of Skyrim kind of accent that I do for him, which doesn't really exist on Earth, mind you. It's just some sort of weird thing that is sort well, I'm sort of in the mountains north of Sweden, maybe. I don't know. Who can say? Um, but if I was going to describe that accent, I would say, well, it's sort of a northern Scandinavian sound. Um, he has he has sort of a more a bassy quality to his voice. He He has a very measured way of speaking so that he never really rushes forward into his words. He always, he's very, very measured and careful with his words. So there you go. That's a description of how that mm -hmm. character sounds without mm -hmm. actually doing how it sounds. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, I think we're ready to roll on into the world building jam session. Uh, for everyone who might not know how this works, we're going to roll up some dice that's going to determine the genre the subject and the theme of our scenario. And then we're going to kind of figure that out together. So let's roll some dice. And uh, in honor of our guest today, instead of our normal themes, uh, I've actually pulled up my PDF version of Perilous Wilds. Where yes. Where we're going to be <laughs> using the dungeon themes from Perilous Wilds because I saw your supplemental video on that. And I clicked on it so hard and so fast that I'm pretty sure I subscribed to your channel somehow. Hey, yo. uh, so we're going to roll some dice and determine the genre. And let's see what we get here. All right, so we've got a superhero genre. Boo! Uh, <laughs> and the subject that we're going to be dealing with, it's going to be between an item, a monster, a place, and historical figure, an event, or a cataclysm. So we're going to roll the die and see what we get here. That's going to be a cataclysm. And next we're going to roll on over to the Perilous Wilds PDF and see. By the way, everyone should be uh, downloading the Perilous Wilds PDF as we speak, because my God, that is an excellent. It, you don't even have to run it in Dungeon World. You can just buy that book and use it everywhere. It's so yeah, helpful. I used it for Savage World. Yes. Uh, so we're going to be picking the dungeon theme first. So let's see what we get. So we've got a mundane theme and that theme specifically. Survival. So we're in a superhero genre. There is a cataclysm and the theme of this scenario is survival. So Trevor, you are the guest. You get to ba basically paint us the scenario that we're going to build upon from here on out. Um, the world was saved years ago by a group of superhero mutants that, that emerged out of whatever, labs, who can say, but they were a bunch of do-gooders that, that uh, fought crime and killed terrorists and cowed the evil governments of the world and all that superhero goodness. But there was something, a cataclysm that happened. There was a disease that struck. It was a genetic mm -hmm. disease that struck and it struck them all down, all of them, with the exception of five. Oh. And those five found themselves on the run from their former enemies and they realized that the only escape from their enemies was to try and hide among the normals, the mundanes, those people that they had previously saved who felt that they owed them a debt of gratitude. And that's where the survival comes in. That's excellent. So my yeah. question now becomes, right, because we're creating a scenario, 
are we playing the superheroes who are on the run? And also, are they on the run because there's like a totalitarian regime that's hunting them down actively? What's the, what are we thinking of when it comes to stuff like that? I have a feeling they're on the run because they're the key to um, the curing this disease that ruined the other superheroes. Great. And does the disease affect normals or does it affect them differently? How do we want to deal with that? I think it was exclusively uh, engineered to strike down the genetic code only of the supers. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Gotcha. So these five were like the last hopes of the superhero as a concept, essentially. Yes. And I think what it was called, it was the, the disease was called the, the um, something like the genocide bug or something, because it was designed specifically to wipe out the entire uh, race of superheroes, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm so sure who's after come... them? Yeah, that, that's the other important thing. Who's after these people? The superheroes. Um, a large group of cuddly teddy bears. No, I don't know. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, I'm wondering, is it is it like, um, is it a government entity or a corporation? Or is it like a superhero who's dying from the disease and wants to like find the cure and they're the only ones? Like, Oh, there, there's your answer. There's okay. your answer. Okay. One of their former colleagues... Yes. who has decided mm-hmm. that the only yeah. way to save his life is to extract the genetic material from the five remaining superheroes and use it to develop a cure for him. Nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I love so that. the plague wasn't necessarily his fault, but now he's gone more genocidal as a result of him trying to be the last survivor. Yeah, I don't think he was responsible for the plague. I think he was a victim of it, but it mm-hmm. kind of drove him over the edge. Mm-hmm. But what's the guy from Watchmen, the villain? Ozymandias. Um, Ozymandias. Gives me those vibes, other than, but Ozymandias is definitely the mastermind in that case. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you, uh, I, I don't want to discount the fact that you said that they're on the run from cute, cuddly teddy bears. No, please and, do discount it immediately. Uh, see, actually, <laughs> I was thinking, I'm like, you know, we can probably make something of that because this evil villain can probably like it let's if we take like hasbro or evil hasbro which i guess is basically the same thing as hasbro (laughs) careful do you want to get sued are you out of your mind (laughs) (laughs) he'll break the wizards yeah yeah exactly uh but you can take something like that right and there's probably like a chucky-esque toy of care bears or something similar that he is using as surveillance devices to try and track Is he a child? Is he actually a superhero who's a child? He's the boy genius inventor. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so the teddy bears are, it's like a double thing. Yeah. He inherited like a toy company and he's a child. And so he's also like, has this corporation backing behind him. All right. And an ev- a evil child, that's the best thing always. Yes. And it's not <laughs> yeah. even big brother because it's little brother. Little brother. Yeah. Little brother, yeah. that's little his brother. name. Yep. There we go. There go. Nice. Okay. Nice. Wouldn't, oh, can I just say, wouldn't, so it, wouldn't it be funny? Nice. Wouldn't it be funny at this point if I was like, no, guys, those ideas are stupid. We're doing mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, wh- what do you mean? This is your idea. You said cuddling goddamn bears. Your that's fault. what I'm giving you. <laughs> your fault. <laughs> Uh, all right, so it sounds like we've got a pretty solid scenario basis. Let's wait, wait, sh- do. Is, oh, do we want? Cool. Cor- does Courtney have anything that she wants? We haven't heard from Courtney. So this is making me think of like mom, the mom corp from um, from Futurama. Yeah, yeah from yeah. Futurama. So I imagine that this little brother character like has a pretty big um, presence in the world, like 
as the spokesperson for this company potentially and that gives him a lot of power oh they love him the world loves him already yeah because he's this like adorable little kid yeah and not only that but he's a known hero right like Mm -hmm. yeah he is a known hero and he's a dying child yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 Yeah, they want to save him. So all the people, so that that makes a division among the humans, the non supers, because it's like the kids saying, "Hey, he's got these ads, you know, at the cancer child ads," and it's like, <laughs> "Don't you want to save little brother?" And so the the superheroes don't know whether to trust the non supers because some of them are after them, and some of them actually want to protect them. Yeah, he he's just so brave. I I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that, okay, that's an excellent point as well. All right. Um, I think we're at the point now where we can roll the die and throw in a twist and fuck everything up, potentially. So let's see how that works. The twist there is the world is much smaller than you think. And uh, again, Trevor, because you're our guest and because, you know, you you have many years of Lego Star Wars voice acting, (laughs) can we now set this as a Lego adventure? Is that something that we can oh my potentially God. do? <laughs> and it would now smaller. make, I would imagine, the Care Bears and the, t- the Cuddly Teddy Bears much more menacing because they're probably much <laughs> larger to these people than they would otherwise think. Sure. <laughs> Why not? All right. And, any other concepts or ideas that we might want to run with where the world is much well, smaller than you think? I mean, if it's metaphorical is the question. Like, right. I love the Lego thing, but what else could it mean if it's meta- metaphorical? Well, what, what mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I, I was going more that direction myself. I was thinking, like, the world is much more small than you think, meaning that um, <clears throat> the, the people that the heroes are, are, are being harbored by um, are infiltrated by the other organization so that mm. th- there's, there's really almost no safe Harbor for them. Every time they get oh, to a place okay. of safety, they realize that they've been given up because um, there's no one to trust is, is kind of how I interpret that. Like there's, there's everything. It's, it's a state of paranoia the whole time. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that as well. So there's almost like a, a cold war spy thriller vibe to it mm-hmm. somehow. You can see it's being set like in the fifties kind of like throwback. Ah. Oh yeah. yeah. That would be neat. I could also see it being something to do with like mind fuckery, essentially, like um, making these heroes who are trying to just survive, um, making them think that um, certain things are true or untrue, basically like maybe even drugging them in some cases. Um, maybe they're maybe they're trying to fight up the side effects of the of the disease that they're mm. constantly like. The, it's not that they're it's not that the disease has killed them. They still have it. They're trying to find a cure, but it's slowly eating away at their sanity. And so yeah. there's that yeah. paranoia Ooh. aspect that you're t- thinking of too. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. If, if, if an aspect of the disease was almost like an early onset dementia, yes. where yeah. they, they start yeah. to forget who they are. They start to uh. forget that they even have these powers. And maybe that's, maybe that's what happens to the superheroes. Maybe they didn't die off. Maybe their powers did, and they forgot uh, that they were ever superheroes in the first place. Oh, then yes. the supers can try to find uh, the other superheroes too. Yeah, to re. To oh yeah, to re. Yep. re- yeah. Uh, rejuvenate Damn. their powers. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I hate the superhero genre, but this is cool. I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Me too. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> says the guy who's like, made all of. Says the guy who's made his living doing superhero cartoons. <laughs> <as well. laughs> it's kind of like Unbreakable esque, but cooler. I think. Yes. 
Although I think Unbreakable was a masterpiece. That's just Unbreakable's the Unbreakable's one of the two good movies that he's ever made. So yeah, that's fair. Bing, you yes. win the prize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. I think that's. I think when we're this excited, you know, we've done a good fucking job, and we can just kind of leave it there. Like <laughs> we don't have to go any further. We can just keep it moving. Uh, you want to play it? And and I think that's when you win. Right, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh we want to play it in mutants and mutants and masterminds, probably. Um yep. just because that's my mm-hmm. preferred superhero thing. Anyway. Is that a is that a D twenty based game? Yes. What is that? Yeah. It's, what was it's, the it's, old one that was D six? Uh there's several. Are you talking about masks or perhaps no, like it was Marvel older, Star- maybe it was D tens. It was really old and it was like you you played I think Marvel characters. Oh, you know what that is? That's phase rip. That's yes. uh, that's with oh, where everything's goodness, it's yeah. percental dice and everything's yeah. on yeah. one chart and it's all color coded. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah that's the one. I got Man, a friend I back could, home. I, could, I love reminiscing uses... about old shit like this. This is perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a friend back home who uses that system exclusively for every genre he does. Wow, <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> I've 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 adapted to like to like everything's apocalypse world. Fuck it, two d six, roll it. Just make my life easier. See, that's so funny. And I know we're in the middle of this thing, but I want, I want to talk about that for a second. No, 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 let's do it. A lot of yeah. these games, they say, oh, it's great because the GM doesn't have to roll dice. I'm like, go fuck I yourself. I want to roll dice. I, I, roll dice. I like I rolling dice. Yeah, you I know? want to roll fucking dice. That's why I'm yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do agree with that. That's the one thing that I do miss where it's like, oh, let's break out the red die of doom, which my players yes. know on site. Yeah. And we're like, no, no. We they just dread it. Put that away. It's, it's got faded it's numbers because you know it's like, does it roll unevenly? And that's because it's my fuck you guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I suspect, I could be wrong, but I suspect that some of the, the pushback uh, to a game like uh, Apocalypse World or, or its variants by the old Grognard community is that <laughs> it's player facing. In that yeah. mm-hmm. everything that happens to the characters is based ultimately on the choices they make rather than the objective mm-hmm. reality of the world right. imposing mm-hmm. challenges on them. 100%. And I totally empathize with that. Yeah. I, like, I, 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 I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand why they would hold that viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Because when you're raised with the idea of if I'm facing an opponent, that opponent's choices and his dice rolls matter it's not mm. just mine that matter that you know like the player facing thing can be interpreted as a very sort of self-centered navel gazing kind of philosophy mm-hmm. well everything's ultimately about these characters because <laughs> everything's centered around them and i'm like yeah but then the guy rolls a 20 against you and you die so you know i don't know I, that's just a random thought. we've got to have i feel like we've got to have another episode where we bring you back on and we just talk about like osr stuff because i'm super 200 percent into that yeah, well, it's funny because on my on my last episode of Drinking with DMs, we went pretty deep into this yeah. this idea about mm-hmm. um, the superhero version of D anD D versus what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And if you want to hear it, you can sign up at Patreon at mm-hmm. me myself and I <laughs> dot com or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> You'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll probably leave a link in the description of this episode. That's fine. Um, one thing I do want to talk about real quick is. That's actually the 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 player facing aspect that you're talking about previously is part of the reason why I have such a hard time grasping the cipher system because if you want to talk about like the DM not rolling dice at all that system hurts my soul because I don't roll a single die for anything yeah. and it's just like uh, but I want to roll a 20 and smite the guy. Like, come on. Like, I want to get in on that a little bit, you know? Yeah. And, and especially if you, if you had any kind of like awakening to the 
potential of randomness like I did. <laughs> That's all about rolling mm -hmm. dice and interpreting mm -hmm. the results. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to hear the clatter. I want, because I have yeah. my favorite dice, of course. Yeah, we all do. But I've got my killer dice, my killer white percentiles when I was running Harn Master. And I, of course, I rolled in front of the screen because I'm a killer GM, apparently. <laughs> and uh, they were, every time I pull those dice, it's like, oh my God, we're dead. We're just, we're all dead. We're all dead. Mm -hmm. And most mm -hmm. of the time, they were right. So that was that's the joy, <laughs> you know, right there. Yes. And that's the thing that I miss about um, like face to face gaming is that when I roll like really well and it's just me, like there's no like, there's no other person to glance over and be like, whoa, look at those dice that he rolled. Or like, there's none of that excitement. It's like, let me move my camera. On your dice. Yeah, That's let me move my camera so you can see it. It's, it's not the same. There's just not so, the same energy. So do you guys then, when you're doing like roll 20 or it's variants, do you use real dice or do you use it? Um, I'm guessing you do instead of the dice roller. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can use real dice. I can speak to you. Yeah, so like I use, I use Discord, but we have a, per, a player who's actually kind of like the caller in old school gaming oh, who wow. has another um, screen up that does all kinds of stuff for me. So he has our initiative in there. Um, if he could potentially show a dice tray if he wanted to or my screen. So it's like we, we don't use um, Roll20. We just use Discord with that special setup in OBS. So it's complicated, but it's great because the players feel like they're taken care of, you know, throughout it. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that's um. How how can I get in on that? No. I can show. I'll, I'll totally. I'll send you what the setup is, so you can see what it is. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wow. Uh, okay, we're having a lot of fun here, but we're we're gonna wrap it up and <laughs> send it on over to the rapid fire questions. Uh, I'd ask if you're ready, Trevor, but no one is. So here we go. Uh, my wife wants to know, Trevor, is cereal a soup? Yes. All right, Depending on the liquid. You. Yes, thank wow. you. Thank you. Um, and nice I would, I would love to know. Tell me about a your most memorable player death. Uh, as a player, or causing the player death. What, whichever you prefer. Because <laughs> the, of the latter, there are too many to share. Um, <laughs> uh, most memorable player death. Um, I have only ever lost one character in my entire 40 plus years of playing. Wow. wow. Really? Mm -hmm. wow. And uh, it was the very first session I joined. It was a D&D 3.5 game. And I'd never met these guys before. I found them online. I was like, ah, I'm going to go play with these guys. And so I went and they were right in the middle of this Underdark kind of campaign. And I joined as this really cool kind of dual wielding, not not a Dritt Steward type. He was a human, but he was like this, you know, rogue guy, really cool. And I and all that stuff. And the first thing that happened was we got attacked by like a lich and a dragon and underground and bad. And we all got killed, TPK. And I was like, huh, well, cool. first session, huh? Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So that kind of sucked. But at the same time, I was like, finally, I died. Okay. I feel like a, I am a man today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. And uh, another quick question. What have you been playing recently? Uh, well, Iron Sworn on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, before that, I was running a Stars Without Number campaign for my guys yes. back home. Uh, mostly because I think Kevin Crawford is a bit of a mad genius when it comes to his DMing tools and his, mm -hmm. uh, his, his behind-the-scenes world tools where you you have all of these different factions and the dm plays yep. like a little mini game in, be in between sessions to see what happens with each faction uh that was the most exciting part of the game for me and there was no players involved what does that tell you uh, uh, i mean <laughs> you, you literally cut out all of the players in your show except for you and we, we knew this coming in right i think i might have a bit of a problem <laughs> daniel hit him with the go hit him with the rapid fire questions go ahead uh, my rapid fire question: What is your favorite uh, nightmare convention story? 
Oh my god, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Uh, I coined the term, as far as I know, coined the term con eye. Uh, I was oh, at a convention no. many years ago, and um, I'm not a big hugger. I'm not really into, you know, humans so much. But, you know, it's a convention, and hey, they all want to hug. And so uh, it was like the Saturday afternoon. I forget where it was. Some, some city. And this girl comes up to me, and, you know, she's been in the costume for three days, and she's a little sweaty, as, you know, you can imagine. She says, can I have a hug? She accosted me, and then the middle of the hallway as we're going from panel to panel. And I'm like, I'm d- d- sure. Oh, no. So I give her a hug, and then at some point I must have just kind of wiped my eye because uh, that oh. night I woke up with pus running out of my uh, eye. Oh, no! And I uh, realized, oh, I've I've got con eye, and um, oh. so that was fun. Oh, Jesus. oh, that's terrible, horrible. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, any others? Um, I know you are a huge fan of like dark fantasy slash Warhammer. Um, if In you the could, dark future. Yes, if you could voice <laughs> act any character in, that you haven't yet in that realm, what would be your favorite to do? In the fan in the Warhammer fantasy world, not just Warhammer, all of dark fantasy, all of it. Oh wow! Hmm. Like, are you talking any established character in in fiction? Yeah, like you get to be on whatever show you want. It's dark <clears throat> fantasy, and this is like your dream fantasy character, dark fantasy character. Oh boy! Uh, to tell you the truth, I think I've already played him, and that was Amber Call the Black, uh, uh-huh. who doesn't exist in anything other than our Rollmaster game. But yeah. but I I did start working <laughs> on a pilot uh, to turn that campaign into a series. And I still think it has uh, legs, legs, frankly, because it was yeah. very good. Um, okay. So if that's the case, it'll be, uh, if that ever happens, <laughs> it, it'll be Abercola Black. Nice. Excellent. Courtney, you've got rapid fire questions. Go ahead, hit them. All right. Um, be honest. How many minis do you own? Um, looking at them right now, <laughs> they're, they're on the shelf behind my setup. Oh. Oh boy! <laughs> At least the thing five. is, I, I I did that Reaper Kickstarter last year, so oh I've my got eight hundred yep. oh more. My God. Yep. I'm oh so my guilty God. of that. It's yeah. terrible. I am also <laughs> guilty of that. Yes. Nowhere to put them. No idea what I'm gonna do. I don't know. Right now, I'd probably two fifty, maybe something like oh, that. That's not oh, okay. That's, no, that's it's reasonable. Not, it's, I'm not, oh wait, that's you know what? No, sorry, I lie. I forgot about the entire closet of unmade <laughs> Warhammer 40,000 stuff I've got. Here, so add on another, I don't know, 300. Who knows? Something like that. All right. That adds up, yeah. Any um, others, Courtney? Literally, well, I have to buy a bigger house to, to find the room. That's what happens. For my minute. I mean, it's just such a good deal when they put out their Kickstarters. It's like, oh how can God, you not? Yeah. How can you not just throw money at it and get minis that you don't need? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one more question. What was your favorite book series as a kid? Lord of the Rings. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Makes fast. sense. Yeah. Nice. All right. So we're almost done with the rapid fire questions. I've got one other. Trevor, can you tell me someone that you want to shout out and deserves eyeballs besides yourself? Um, deserves eyeballs. Uh, or ears. Whatever boy. body part that you think is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> this guy needs a spleen. Throw him your spleen. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I would say Black Magic Craft, but he's already got <laughs> so many subscribers. Uh, I don't know if he needs the help. Uh, somebody who needs the help besides me. <laughs> I, don't, I need the help. It's me. <laughs> uh, 
You can go with Black Magic Craft. They don't need help. They just want more eyeballs. More, yeah. more, more is always then, better. Yeah. Then I would say him. Or you know, I'll tell you who. I love this guy, Seth Skorkowski. Yeah, on, uh, friend on of the show. We've had him on. He's oh right. yeah. I just I when I first saw him, I was like, "What are you doing with the characters, really?" And then immediately I was like, "Oh no, I gotta love this." Yes. I love how yeah, he's going back and forth. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, he's so honest. He's so genuine. He's so just exactly what he is. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I love him. Hello, Internet. Seth Skorkowski here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, so, yeah. we, when Go we on. had him on, we bonded over our love of uh, the Brendan Fraser film, The Mummy, which I oh, still yeah. think Great. is criminally underrated. Uh-huh. I, I agree uh, 100%. Yeah. And uh, finally, last rapid fire question. Uh, can you tell people where we can find you? Not in a creepy way, but just in a social media. Please plug yourself. Uh, well, the biggest thing is my show on YouTube, Me, Myself, and Die. I'm always uh, happy to, you know, accept new subscribers and respond to comments. I, I try and I try and respond at least with a like to everybody who says something, you know, nice. Um, <laughs> other than that, I am on Twitter, although I think it's a cesspool and the greatest cancer that uh, our society has ever known. High five, uh, totally agree. Um, so I, I, that's, that's really kind of pointless trying to find me on Twitter because I, I, I hide as much as I can. Um, Facebook as well. I'm no longer active. Um, I just got tired of everybody yelling at each other, the, the, the same things over and over again, uh, in the echo chambers. And I was like, I, that's giving me a headache. I want to, I want to go home. I want to go home. Uh, so yeah. Um, how can they find me? Uh, I have a website, but no one goes on the website. It's mostly the show. I'd say me, myself and I on YouTube. I have a Patreon as well. If you're interested in checking that out, um, Link below, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll link that up. Ch- channel and Patreon. Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real blast. Yeah, me too. That was um, much easier than I thought. I was scared. You had me scared. <laughs> <laughs> I love the freaking superhero thing we called it. That was fantastic. Yeah, that yeah. was really yeah. cool. And, and considering that it's the worst genre out there. Yeah, that's yes. right. I said it. I said it. I, mean, I, agree. I always cringe when I hear superheroes. I'm like, oh, same tired yeah. tropes. But that's something yeah. new right there. I'm, I'm sorry crazy. that you don't appreciate mythology in a modern sense. You <laughs> oh, I know. Fuck. Hey, Star know. Trek is modern mythology. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Yes, that too. Yes, yes, uh-huh. it is modern mythology. But th- still... Go fuck yourself. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. fine. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Listen here. You know what I love? I, I, I love, I love, you know, like you said, this idea that we came up with is great because mm-hmm. it's such a twist. It's such a departure. Yeah. Um, that's the reason why, obviously, The Boys was this this wonderful, wonderful thing that came across mm-hmm. my Amazon account. Yeah. Like, oh, you're telling it how it would really be. Okay, I'm in. I love well, it. Court, These are all assholes. about Legion before, too, which I was surprised by how weird it was. Like, yeah. That's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, Trevor, yeah, I, I love the, I love Legion? the twist. I mean, honestly, you are right. The superhero genre is just a modern day reimagining of the classic mythological tropes. But there was always something about it that I could never get in, uh, get into. I was always just like, you know what it was? It was soap opera syndrome. It was the fact that no matter what happened, <laughs> there the was back. never any lasting consequences. You mm, never, yeah. ever, ever thought that anything lasting was going to happen to the characters no one ever lost an arm no one ever you know whatever there was no it was always everything was back to status quo at the end and we're all fine and mm-hmm. square jawed and i'm like no i want to read game of thrones where that's <laughs> <is> so <laughs> you know. okay see okay yes but also <laughs> the thing the thing that i love particularly about like comic books in general is this idea that 
it you can you can cut off the canon wherever you want, right? Like I, I consider runs of certain writers to be like that's the story. So when when Ed Brubaker does the Winter Soldier and you get a cool espionage story with Captain America and Bucky comes back and you're like, whoa, what's that? And then like you can completely disregard so many of the like the one where Captain America becomes a werewolf or the one where <laughs> he beheads a vampire and Richard Nixon's involved, like all of that. Do you shit. mean like it's a fun sandbox of self-contained stories? Yes, it's you I can see. compartmentalize the genre right, right. so much easier than you can anything else. And I think that's what I can appreciate about it is that I can have Captain America werewolf and I can also have slick 1950s, like cold war shit, you know, like that's what I love. The thing that you uh, appreciate about it is is exactly the thing that I abhor. He wants wants canon. He wants his canon. I'm the guy, I'm the guy, for example, that will never, ever, 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 ever run a module more than once. Even if it's with Mm -hmm. a different group. Mm -hmm. Because to me, once the module is run, that's how it happened. Wait, are you mad that Tom Bombadil's not in the Lord of the Rings movies? (laughs) You know, I'm not going to get into that. Source (laughs) bomb. Okay. Understandable. No, no, no. No. I know. It's too bad. That is, that's a case of, that's a case of selective editing when you're, when you're transferring from Mm -hmm. one genre to the next. I see. see. No problem with that. The the issue I have is when you take an established story that has already happened, characters have already had these things happen, and then you say, do over, it never happened, we're in an alternate reality now. Do not, do not like. I see translations, I see translations as exactly that, like, that's why when I look at the Marvel movies and people are fucking butt mad that it's like, oh, well, the costume's off because six inch, like, no, fuck that. I don't care about that. This is an entirely different universe that I, mean, I can come to appreciate. Oh, Although uh, on the fucking flip side of that, I'm still pissed off that V for Vendetta is the worst fucking comic book movie of all time <laughs> because it's fucking garbage and I hate it. See, now that's interesting because I never read the comic and I love the movie. I thought it was fine. Same that is, here. That is the problem is because you're yeah. missing all of the fucking cool I I never watched commentary that Alan Moore injects into it. And well, you're getting I'm, all of the true. fucking, oh, I'm going to say a V word seven times in a row and that's going to be clever. Like, fuck <laughs> off. Get the yeah, but, fuck but, out but, of here that But shit. can I just say, can I just say? Please. The voice work that Hugo Weaver. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Oh Absolutely. my, he's mm-hmm. silk. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's silk yeah. from behind that mask. He's oh. a French chef because his voice is so fucking buttery. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh, look at you. I did appreciate Watchmen though. Like, other than it's ending, like, did a great uh, job, I think. It's yeah, it's, it's again, the, it's style. You're, you're getting the style. Of okay, it, but you know what? I it think was, this it is was exactly the, point. the same. No, <laughs> this, very. I agree. Very. They 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 reproduced shot for shot. Which shot for shot. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. tell me it I, wasn't I it was exactly good. the same. It was also yeah. very incorrect. That's fine. We're not here <laughs> to talk about Watchmen. It's, okay. it's literally shot for shot. It How is. You disagree with that? It's like extremely. That's what that's what all these comic book guys were critical of. They were like, yeah, you just you just shot for shot. I'm like, right. It's a graphic novel. It's it's laid out like a storybook. Of course, it's shot for shot. <laughs> okay, you know what? That's you know we're just we we we've gone over our time. Don't get us started. Don't get started. Suddenly we're out of time. <laughs> Trevor, we know how to push his buttons. Like, don't mention dwarves. Don't mention fantasy races. He'll just yeah. he'll go crazy. But do it. Uh, no, honestly, I've never been mad on this show except for when talking about V for Vendetta. I've never been so mad. Also, yeah, Watchmen, sure. Like, whatever. I'm, I'm not going to die in that hill. Like, I can be wrong. I've been wrong before. 
on my show. Well, I don't give a fuck. Like, well, if you're not, if you're not if you're not passionate about something, then yeah. what's the point? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Although I I will die for V for Vendetta. That movie can just go fuck off and die. I hate that. You movie. know what? I'm gonna go watch it. I'm gonna go watch it right now. Yeah. Let's let's, let's go get on Discord, guys, and we'll watch it. We'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me when you get to the part where nothing matters, and by that I mean the entire movie. Um, anyway. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, Trevor, th- again, this has been incredibly fun. So much this, fun. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- I don't yeah. think we've ever stretched this far past the point where we normally end. But I, I honestly, can't wait till someday we all can, like, if we can meet you at a convention and then I'll give you the con eye. Like, that's my hope. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a nice group hug. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Daniel, that doesn't sound as endearing as we think it does. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, but seriously, I think we should end it here. Uh, thanks again. We uh, definitely have you on the show whenever you want, Trevor. Like, yeah. consider, consider this an open invitation. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. My pleasure. Good, uh, good talking to y'all. Yeah, <laughs> I'm an American now. I can say that y'all. And that was our interview with voice actor Trevor Deval. I don't know if you could tell, but my God, did we have just a ton of fun talking about all sorts of nerdy shit. That is by far the longest we've gone past our regular, like, you know, he like our regular like a blast. time. Like, I want to oh, yeah. go get a beer. I want to play that superhero game with him as soon as it's possible, you know? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, we're, we're, we're probably definitely going to have him back because, man, yes. we, could t- we could talk for hours about how wrong he is about superheroes, and that's totally Hey, fine. he's like an um, old-school gamer after my heart, I swear yes. to God. Yep, absolutely. And, of course, like, the one interview that Chris misses is the one where we're like, yes. oh, yeah, I'm, like, super in Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings and say, yeah, he's exactly. Lord of the Rings fan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, what I thought was really great is he really nailed, it, even though it's had nothing to do with the topic of the interview, he really nailed um, how... Um, Game, the modern what people call story gaming apocalypse world games mm-hmm. how they dovetail with the philosophy of old school gaming and how really mm-hmm. at their core they're the same thing and i'm like he said Absolutely. it so simply that i haven't i've seen that expressed but not so simply before mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i think that's one of those things that it's, it's kind of like when we had justin alexander on where you can yeah there's all these intuitive things that you know about gaming and until there's someone who's like who codifies them and sits down mm-hmm. and says like hey, this is how it is, this is how it should be. You're like, oh, I've been doing right. that the whole time and not even think actively thinking about it. Uh-huh. You know? It's revelatory to have it written down, but at the same yeah. time, it's like, you know, it's stuff that we fundamentally have to understand about the game. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Also, um, Courtney is going to say something now. Courtney? Oh, God, why? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, God damn it, why would you do this to me? Why? <laughs> Um, and Courtney, this was your first interview with us. What did you think of the interview? It was my first. Um, no, I thought it was really fun. Um, really, really fascinating to kind of hear his approaches. And um, of course, amazing to hear all those voices that he does. Um, yeah, it was mm-hmm. just really, really cool uh, to kind of learn more from him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, as, as someone who also does voices at, at, you know, at the gaming table, I'm glad that it's like, not just me who I'm like, I just kind of want to break out into a silly fucking voice sometimes. Or like, you know? <laughs> and, and I, I actually really related to like giving characters like defi- like really like defining characteristics, you know, whether mm-hmm. just by doing it, you know, like I, I think when it comes to, when I create NPCs, it really comes down to creating something that is memorable. So you can, you can tell who the character is with like a very simple, subtle motion of, of how they act and what they, and how they talk 
even in some cases. And he's, he says often in his, in other interviews too, he talks about the key, at least the voice acting from his experience is having a, like he said, passion, but also B, he says where a lot of other voice actors fail is they don't have the expressiveness built mm. into how they act. He says like to voice act, you actually have to learn to act. Mm. And it's because that's where he started was doing theater acting too, like and, and directing. So it's like, it makes sense that when he brings that to the game, you can't just it's not just a matter of bringing voices you can do that that helps but it's it's the passion behind it that makes it work mm-hmm. yeah and uh i i would also strongly recommend we're going to leave links to all of his work and all of his uh like the youtube channel and his website in the description so please go ahead and check that out and while you're doing that uh if you want us to build the world for you or with you you can always go ahead and send us an email at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com or shoot us a tweet over at Let's World Build. And alternatively, if you want to come join the world building community on Discord, link in the description right next to Trevor's. And if you're feeling particularly generous and don't want to give money to Trevor, give money to us instead over on our Patreon link <laughs> also in the description. And that's going to do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together until next week. Mm